You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. I'm just going to warn you, it's been one of those mornings, right? Like everybody going to bed late, getting up early. And uh, I have 7% on my iPad. So I'm reasonably sure it's going to run out. That could be a very dangerous situation. Whatever reservations you have, cancel them. No, I'm teasing. Totally, totally joking. It's been a great morning. I got to baptize somebody between services. Isn't that a way to start the new year? That was a cool moment for me, reminding us of, uh, man, the work of God is always ongoing. He's always moving. He's always transforming. So uh, I read about a man who was a city guy from New York and uh, found himself on a business trip in Texas. And uh, as he was traveling in Texas, he, um, he uh, gets into an accident with a truck and a trailer. The trailer was carrying a horse. Um, a few months later, he contacts his insurance company because he wants to collect damages for injuries he sustained. Now, the insurance company's lawyer was perplexed and also adversarial to this because how can you claim to now have these injuries? The day of the accident, you said you were good. And obviously thinking he's trying to scam or fraud them, he asked him, why did you say you were not hurt that day? To which the New Yorker, the city guy replied, look, I was laying in the road in a lot of pain. And I heard somebody say over by the trailer, oh man, the horse has a broken leg. The next thing I know, this Texas Ranger pulls out his gun and shoots the horse. (laughs) Then he turns to me and asks, are you okay? (laughs) It's a new year, right? And like is so often understood by us all, we're we're familiar with this, is how often we determine to do better, right? I I have some things I want to do better. It's just the way we structure our life and the calendar and time. It's okay. It's structure. It's good. and, And we're probably making resolutions. But so often... We all know that by January 15th, we've lost our courage and resolve. And we really, like that man, just shrink back as life is piling on. It's so easy for us to just not say anything, not do anything, and just revert back to the same old patterns. We slump back into what we're comfortable with. Anybody else with me? Yeah. That's why I haven't been 185 pounds since I was 23 years old. Just being honest here. Now you guys are trying to ballpark my weight, aren't you? And I want to just take like three minutes and remind you, I just got done reading this book called The Power of Habit, reminding me again that our lives, the tenor, the direction of our lives are tied into the habits that we that we form, that we make. We really are, in a lot of ways, uh, we're creatures of habit, and where we end up is a result of the habits that we form. I'm not telling you anything new. 
But I want to remind you that um, as you are thinking about a new year, and as no doubt we all have some remorse and regret about things that we would like to have better, do better, I want to remind you that, <clears throat> that each of us have the ability to change our habits. An interesting comment in this book um, that I was reading um, talks about that all of us have certain keystone habits, habits that then become triggers for other habits. Like we have these, these keystone habits that if we can maybe develop a new keystone habit, the fallout from that is like our, the other habits that need to change in our life just kind of fall into place, right? We all have keystone habits. I don't know what they are for you, but they're kind of the things that set the tone for your day. That if you get that right and you do it, your day seems to go better. I'll just be vulnerable. Like, um, um, I, I, I don't know if I should do this. Like, no, like, I, I, uh, like, it seems like my day always goes better when I take a shower first thing in the morning, amen? And everybody else's days goes better that works with me. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is even if I took a shower the night before, like, taking a shower in the morning, that's one of my keystone habits. Like, if I do that, it just seems like I get on track. Everything seems to be... And those days that maybe I've showered the night before, I do take a shower every day, amen? But if I do it night before and I get up, I'm groggy. I, I'm just not, I, I just can't seem to get into a rhythm. You know what I mean? That's a keystone habit for me. I've been thinking of, about that. And um, you're thankful for that, right? Hopefully showering is a habit of your life. I don't know if it's a keystone habit, but I just want to remind you that as we walk into this year, and as we jump into the studying a book, and as we try to build structure in, I mean, what we do every Sunday is, is structure. It's the rhythm. It's the habits of the soul, right? That's why it matters that you have this habit where you come into God's house week after week. You're building, you're setting direct, direction, destiny, tone for your life, right? You ever been random with church attendance, you know, once every four weeks, twice every six weeks. I'm telling you, like the habit of that with your soul, it's just terrible. I don't know you yet, so I don't know if you come one out of every four. So don't look at me like I'm talking at you, all right? I'm just saying what's real, right? And we, the church, in the wisdom of God, he's built in these rhythms for us to practice, to build godly habits. And I'm challenging you to, to think of this the intake of the word of God, if you'll allow it to be a keystone habit of your life, <laughs> I can't even tell you what God's gonna do in your life. If you will create space and a habit of intaking God's word, God, it can do incredibly great things in your mind, in your heart, in your lifestyle, in your relationships. And I'm just challenging you, would you make intake of the word of God a keystone habit? 
It's like Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and then all of the other things just kind of take their rightful place. And so, like, that's important to me as your pastor is to create structures. We, we worship every Sunday, that structure, that's a chance to come together and to, to feed your soul, to, to, to fill your soul with worship and, and the presence of God together and the mutual edification of the saints. All those things are so necessary. If you've ever done, if you've ever um, done physical workouts, you know that like there's so many things that need to be in place. And one of those things is um, like working out with a group of people. I did CrossFit for a while. I choose to forget that time of my life. <laughs> I go home every day and be like, what are you doing to yourself? But the reason why I continue to do it and I didn't quit, the gym closed down. But the reason I didn't quit is because I got together with a group of people. And like, them, if, if I was doing it on my own, like three days in, I'm like, forget this. But I made myself accountable to a group of people. And I had that group where we challenged each other and we encouraged each other as we worked out and we, we cheered each other on as we were doing 80 box jumps, right? Who does that? Right? My point is, is especially in these first three months as we walk through this book, I'm just asking you, would you be willing to create a habit these three months of being in the book of Ephesians? Maybe it could look like this. Maybe I, I'm a big believer in like the saturation technique. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? But like, like God write or God did write, he inspired, but these writers wrote letters. And we have so often disjointed, and we just pick a verse here or there, verse of the day, so often, right? And, we, and, and yet, letters are written that have thoughts and themes and flow. And, and I'm challenging you, like I do, like I just sit down with like Ephesians. Did you know you can read the book of Ephesians in like 20 minutes? 20 minutes. Like we get so caught up in, well, I don't know if I understand everything in there, so I'm not gonna go there because I'm not gonna understand everything. And um, I, I, you know, I, I wanna like get sidetracked and try to figure this out. I'm just asking you, just start reading the letter twice a week. Just read Ephesians twice a week in one setting. Just allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move it. You're smarter than you think you are. Sure, there's going to be phrases that you're going to be like, eh, I've read that six times. I'm still. But would you create space where you just start to read the letter as a letter? Twice a week for three months. I'm asking you, just, can that be a keystone habit in your life? Two other times a week, just read the chapter we're in, we're talking from. Twice a week. Chapter one, twice a week. What do you have to lose? My point is, we're just trying to, to continue to put things out there because I can't guarantee a lot of things. I can't guarantee much of anything, but I can guarantee you that the quality of your life, the direction of your life, the tenor of your life, and the destiny of your life can only be changed for good as you take in the word of God and you begin to react and respond to it. Amen? Amen? And so that's why we're doing this. This is why we're walking through the book of Ephesians. Um, you know, 
it's my hope that this book begins to develop, shape, fine tune our thinking about who we are, who we are in relation to God. But in that context, not just individually relationship to God, but together. This book was written to the church. It's about the church. And you know, like, I am praying that this book becomes a mirror for our soul. You ever take your kids to the, the, like this, the museums in Toledo or Indy or I'm sure there's one in Dayton and inevitably it seems like in all those museums you walk into the mirror room, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where they curve the mirrors, they shape the mirrors and you stand in front of this mirror and it's distorted a little bit and all of a sudden you, know, you look like you're 500 pounds or the other one that looks like you're 100 pounds. That's the one we all stand in front of for a while. (laughs) Or you're seven foot tall or you're three foot tall, right? It's distorted. I would submit to you that every day our fallen world (laughs) is a distorted mirror that you don't see what's real, what's true. And you and I have to navigate through that world at work, in our, the marketplace, in our community, right? The messaging, the, the, the media, all those things are, are distorted mirrors that when we look at them, we get a false view of what reality is, of what truth is. And I'm praying that you and I can become people or continue to be people, I'm not saying you're not, continue to be people who look in the mirror of the word of God, who see the accurate reflection because there's hope in that, because of who God is in Christ Jesus, that even if you look in the mirror and you say, oh my goodness, guess what? God can do something about that. But also when you begin to look in the mirror, the word of God, you begin to understand who you are as a child of God. And that's what Ephesians unpacks so so perfectly. The other thing I want to talk about right up front is so often when we open these, these letters and we think about the time it's written, uh, there can be such a disconnect. It's like, yeah, they have no idea the life I live. They don't know what an iPad, iPhone is. They, I mean, it was ancient culture, civilizations. And so often we can look at this as, eh, probably got some good advice, but I don't know how relevant it is. Well, let me just walk you through a little bit of what Ephesus was like when this letter was written. It's a town of 250,000. It's a metropolis. It's not some cow town or off the country, you know, like sometimes we begin it. It's a thriving metropolis. It's a port city. It's got the the best harbor in the area. In fact, it's probably the biggest town in in Asia Minor. In Asia Minor, <laughs> Asia Minor at that time. In fact, one writer from Roman antiquity wrote that they called Ephesus Luminasia, the light of Asia. I mean, this is a place where transportation, major roads came in. It's like Columbus or Cincinnati or the interstate system. You can get there. It's accessible. People want to go there. People leave from there. You get the idea. This is a thriving city. It's full of culture. 
I mean, in fact, it could have been called the vanity fair of the ancient world. Politically, it was a free city. It was self-governing. Rome had given Ephesus the right of self-governing. No Roman troops, no Roman troops were stationed there. I'm sleep deprived, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, I was with you, I stayed up, I was rooting for the Buckeyes, so if I can't get my words straight, that's the reason, you can blame. I mean, it was a place where they held like the Ephesian games, it kind of comparable to the Olympic games. Entertainment, huge theater, sports. Does, am I reminding you of anything that you're familiar with yet? Yeah, they might have dressed a little differently and things were not as advanced technologically, but people are people. Cultures are cultures. And what these people are living through are not that unsimilar to what you and I live through. The one thing about this place too was because it was this... Uh, culture, new ideas, new teaching, cutting edge of the world, melting pot of ideas. There was a, a, a deep spiritual culture. Uh, the thing was is, is Rome didn't care if you worshiped all sorts of gods as long as your gods didn't try to overthrow Rome. And so in this culture, there's this deep spiritual sensitivity and there's worship of all sorts of gods. Yes, there was worship of Rome and the emperor, but it's just eclectic in nature. These people were, were very familiar with the idea of the spiritual world, of gods, of spirituality. That's why Paul writes so succinctly in this book about these things because he's talking to people who understand that you and I are far more than what we eat or wear or touch or feel, but we're spirit. In fact, we are more spirit than anything else, soul. Paul writes this letter, and the way he writes it, um, it seems to be a, a kind of, okay, I'm writing to this church in Ephesus, but I really want this letter to be spread to the churches around. It's kind of like Ephesus' mother church, hub church. I want them to read it, but I want everybody to read it. So Paul doesn't spend a lot of time um, with personal things. Other books he wrote people to specific situations and, and especially even the book of Colossians which mirrors Ephesians he's writing to us a, a specific heresy it's like he's just writing this book to the church and the area it's written to encourage to unite to inform how many of you took geometry in high school How many of you like geometry? <laughs> Keegan, you better not raise your hand. Keegan's just like me. He hates geometry. He's in it right now. I hated geometry. Algebra was fine. Geometry, I hated. But in geometry, it, um, it, it, you were introduced to a new idea in math. I think the idea of a proof, right? Math had usually been uh, math problems that you were used to. You got a question, you solved it. With geometry, you got the answer, and then you had to prove the answer, right? 
And it's like Ephesians chapter one in this section today, I wanna just visit for a few moments. Some of you know Ephesians chapter one and you are laughing because 15 minutes with Ephesians chapter one is just not even doable. I have to fly over this, okay? Because we could do three months in Ephesians chapter one, right? I'm not going to. But it's like, here's the proof. And then he begins to explain the proof. Here's what he says. I like to read. When we go through a book, I like to read the verses. Like, just allow the Lord to to do his work as we read the word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Already Paul is, 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 is speaking into them about how God specifically calls us and gives us purposes in our lives, right? He called Paul to be an apostle. He's calling you to some purpose and role in the kingdom. He says, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ. Is that not up? I'm sorry. I might need help in this service. Ephesians 1.1. Like, uh, to God's holy people, the faithful who are in Jesus Christ. It, It would seem to me pretty apparent that as he's writing this letter, he's writing to a group of people who are Christians, right? If you're called holy and you're called faithful, Sounds like you're a believer in Jesus, right? I think that's an important thing for us to remember as we walk through the book of Ephesians. This book is written to Christians. This book is written to you today. And the instruction and the information that is given is to instruct the church on how to understand not only their own identity, but their identity amongst each other and their identity in the world. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This this Christian introduction of instead of like, hi, how you doing? Paul is is helping them understand to live with a kingdom kind of perspective that that, that, that our lives should be squarely centered on these two themes of the grace of God and the peace of God. And he wishes that for them to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice in these 14 verses that the reference to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is replete throughout as he's, he's helping them t- to be reminded that the Trinitarian Godhead is at work among us, doing its roles for our good, and, and this is who he is. And this is the proof, though. If geometry has a proof, I think this verse, chapter one, verse three is, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Now, if you read that at first, you're like, oh, God blessed us and I've got heaven to gain. And so he's blessed me when I get to heaven. That's not what's being portrayed here. He's blessed us in a spiritual way. That he's provided for us spiritual blessings, heavenly in nature, that come down into earth. The very spirit of God, the very truth of God that is in heaven has come down to bless us on this earth. With every, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so this is the, this is the proof, and, and this is where I want to step on your toes just for a minute. Can I do that? Will you allow me to do that? Paul, right up front, is trying to shape and form our minds about how we understand what it is to be blessed. The proof is that he has given us every spiritual blessing. He's going to 
in verses four through 14, work that out, what those blessings are. But the proof is that you and I are completely, unreservedly, sufficiently blessed in Christ Jesus. I don't know how you see yourself today, but if you're in Christ, you have, you have access to every spiritual blessing. You see, why I wanna step on your toes a little bit is we can't get out of understanding blessing in a kind of primitive, inferior manner. I've done this, My, I struggle with this at times. Like when things are going well, in my life and my job's going well and I hope uh, my, my family's doing well I'll talk about man I'm so blessed are you with me? like this house we have is such a blessing I don't have a house right now so I can't say that but this house is such a blessing this, this whatever is such a blessing right? And that becomes our standard of understanding what blessing is. And Paul's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to develop a new identity. You need to strengthen your identity in Christ. It's not that having a home and clothes and, and the blessing of family and kids, they're, they're not, they're, it's not that they're not blessings. It's, they are temporary blessings. And the fact is that I can sense and say I'm blessed today because things are going well in my life and tomorrow, if that is taken away from me, what do I do? Am I not blessed anymore? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Because you know what it's like to have good health and wake up one day and go to a doctor and they look at you and say you got cancer. Does that mean you're not blessed anymore? Right? Like Paul's saying, listen, you need to understand blessing in a whole new realm. You need to strengthen your understanding of blessing. That actually, in Christ, in the gospel, you, have, you are sufficiently, fully blessed. You should wake up every day and look in the mirror and say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed beyond what I can even imagine. I'm blessed. Why? Why? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why I think we struggle so often with God. When things go south in our life, the circumstances of our life go south, we so often, we have this Old Testament attachment to how God would, a lot of times, bless. He did bless in the Old Testament uh, figures with, with material goods, with health, with prosperity, with progeny, with power, all these things, right? It was a way that he was revealing something about himself and his, his nature. And his, but in the new covenant, we've reached a new level that in Christ Jesus, we don't need material blessing to experience ultimate blessing. And that as we understand the new kingdom, we realize that as we tap into the spiritual blessing of Jesus Christ, that the material blessing, it's gonna happen, folks. Do you not believe in the new kingdom? Yeah. 
I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you something here, okay? But I'm gonna tell you it's gonna be all right. When heaven comes to earth and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Like, in fact, the way that we understand being blessed now is I have faith in what God is doing in me now and what he's gonna do later. And so I'm blessed. This isn't a good mirror. I should have brought a mirror. I actually can't see you when I do that. And Paul's saying, hey, 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 hey. First thing I want to want to poke about your identity is to understand that you've been blessed in every way. Spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to articulate that. That's what's funny about this. These next 10 verses have filled volumes and volumes of books as scholars have, have tried to articulate what it means. And I have six minutes and 30 seconds. I'm that good, I'm that smart, watch me go. No. And so I'm gonna be kind of superficial with this, not superficial, but very over the trees. I am more than happy to discuss any of this with you in person. I I love this, but let's read how we're blessed. Well, first is in verse four. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse five, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. He begins to use words like chosen, predestined, and that's where all of a sudden all the debate jumps into play, right? Well, oh, what are you saying? God, God chose people and God chooses people and, and um, he predestines those who are sons. He, he uh, right, that's the whole thing going on. I don't think, I think you all know what this. So I'm just gonna give you a very simple, that it seems obvious even here and even later in this Section and through the totality of Scripture and the understanding of what it means to be elect or chosen in Scripture, it's always corporate in nature. It's not individual. And what Paul is trying to write is that God, even before the world was created with the idea of man falling, is already wanting and planning and putting a plan in place to give us opportunity to be restored back to him. Amen? I would just say this simply, that God doesn't predetermine people, but he does have a predetermined plan of salvation. Amen? I'll let you chew on that. Right? And so what I want you to understand is that God, as he's choosing it, notice what he chose us to be, holy and blameless. Like, this is, this is what's changed my life. I grew up with a simple understanding of the gospel that I'm ashamed of in some ways, that I thought the big idea was that God could forgive me of my sins and I could have peace with God and I didn't have to live with guilt and condemnation and then, then I could have my ticket punched to heaven. Right? I didn't realize that the big 
idea of God, the promise of the Father in Acts chapter one is the indwelling Holy Spirit in my life that absolutely forgives me of my sins, that gives me new life in Christ, but he gives me that new life in Christ to do what he's always wanted to do, and that's to transform my life into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. That's the hope of this, that God is gonna take broken down, lost people, and yes, forgive them through his work on the cross, but the sufficiency of that and the grace that flows out of that is now the empowering spirit to make me into his image. That's why this is the most hopeful thing in the world. You do not have to be who you've always been. Thank the Lord. (laughs) If you knew me at 18, you would say, thank the Lord. <laughs> I got a long way to go, but listen, this, this has changed my life. And I know it's gonna continue to change my life as, as I'm, I go from glory into glory until that final glory, that crossing over. And when we see him, we will be completely like him. But he's moving me into that. That's the hope of the world. The light of the world, the salt of the earth is you and I becoming like Jesus Christ. That's what shows the rest of the world who Jesus is and what he can do, right? This is just the greatest thing in the world. And he, before the foundation of the world, he wanted you to experience this. What is a spiritual blessing? Well, the first thing I would notice is just this word, you are wanted. You are wanted. Verse seven, though, he continues to talk about what we have. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, this word redemption carries with it this idea. You know, redemption is this idea of buying something back or paying the price for. And you got that idea. We know what that word is. But this word carries with it much more than just having our sins paid for. It carries with it the idea that in redemption, we are released from the power of our sin. He's just hey, you got to understand what's going on. You're blessed because not only God wants you, God didn't look at a world that was fallen and broken saying, forget that, I'll just start over. No, he looked at a broken, fallen world and desired to have us in relationship with him. So he chose to come to this world for you. He wants you. But in in redemption, and we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according with the riches of God's grace, and this is the underlying theme, is God's grace, that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. So often we talk about the mystery of God's will, and we can't understand God. And I don't think Paul's saying that at all. What he's trying to say is, listen, now in Christ and what he's doing, the mystery of what he was doing is being revealed. That not just a certain people are God's people, but the whole world is a candidate to be a child of God. The mystery of his will is that he came not just for Jewish people, but he came for the whole world. They couldn't grab that. And he's saying, listen, I came into this world to do that. And he says, uh, uh, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. I have no idea if you're seeing this. Just trust me to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. (laughs) This is why Christ comes to redeem the world, to begin the process of reconciliation. And he gives of himself, empties himself, 
and lives the life, died the death, all the things, because not only are you wanted, but you are valuable. And that God's ongoing kingdom, he wants to include you in it. And he gave himself. And he's saying, you should look in the mirror every day and the spiritual blessing above any of your circumstances are this. I'm wanted and I'm valuable. I got three minutes. Watch this. Verse 11, in him we were chosen, having been predetermined according to the plan of his will. Again, he's choosing mankind to be saved. I want you to be saved. I have this plan that I've pre-worked out who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Listen, he was going to come into this world. There was nothing that was gonna stop that. Nothing was gonna stop the plan of salvation. Not even if the whole world would have turned their back on him and said, no, he was going to come in on that night in Bethlehem. Or he was gonna come into the world. That's, that's his, the purpose of his will in order that we who are the first to be put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. That in his saving grace and his plan of salvation, God is glorified for who he is as loving, kind, benevolent. Instead of just casting the world aside and he could do that in his, right? Like, he messed up. That's not me, I'm perfect. But in the gospel, in him reconciling the world, in him deciding beforehand, I'm going to save people. I'm going to provide opportunity for all mankind. It's, it glorifies him. It's the praise of a, of a good and gracious and loving God. And the cross actually shows a holy and just and fair God. It's amazing. But this is what he says in verse 11. In order, that, uh, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, the Jewish people might be for the praise of his glory and that you also were included in Christ. Again, the mystery of his will is the Gentiles are included. When you heard the message of truth, when you heard, you responded. So there's this idea of choosing, no, uh, he gives you the opportunity to choose the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He then moves to this idea of the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says, listen, you're blessed because not only are you wanted, God the Father so loved the world, not only are you valuable that he gave his one and only son, but you are connected to him through his own Holy Spirit. This is gonna be a theme through the book of Ephesians. This is crazy how he introduces the person of the Holy Spirit and helps us to understand that the blessing that we live in, how we should see ourselves as identity is I'm valuable, I'm wanted, I'm connected. I'm connected to the Holy Spirit. In fact, he's saying, listen, you can know this is real. It, 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 he uses this word like down payment or engagement ring. Like, um, yes, God is going to come through and, and you're engaged to him at the time the marriage suffer the lamb, you're gonna be married to him, the right? This whole idea, but you can trust in what God has done and is going to do in your life by the person, the presence of the Holy Spirit that's active in you. And you can believe that what 
God is going to write to us and say, hey, this is who you need to become. You can believe it's possible because the indwelling Holy Spirit is in you. And that you can be reconciled and then the world will be reconciled because of the agency, the person of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us, in us personally and in the church. You have that if you're in Christ. 36 times he uses this phrase, in Christ. He's saying, listen, you're blessed. When you look in the mirror tomorrow, you should see yourself primarily as wanted, valuable, and connected to him. Amen? 11.52, I want to pray. But I pray that I pray that that you would truly believe and know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And as we walk into 2023, you would give him a chance. That you would believe that because you're wanted and valuable and you're connected to him, that what he can do in you, remember what he says in Ephesians chapter three? It can be immeasurably more than what you can even ask or imagine according to the Holy Spirit that is working in you. Would you bow your heads on this first Sunday of the year? Father, I earnestly desire that we would grab a hold of what you wrote to us. We're blessed. Even if our life is good, bad, or ugly, we're blessed. <laughs> it's what Peter said, that we have a blessing, that, that this, this spiritual blessing, it can never perish or spoil or fade away. Lord, help us to cling to that, to be transformed by that, to grab a hold of that above everything else, to allow this to become who we are and let everything else flow out of that. Lord, I pray that we would believe right now in this moment that the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit truly can restore, renew, heal our lives. Lord, I pray right now that somebody that's listening would give you a chance, would open your word, even if they're like, I don't understand it, I don't get quite, would they just persist in it? That first day at CrossFit, I, I felt like I couldn't do, I couldn't go another moment, but I just allowed myself to stay at it, and then it was amazing. Lord, what you do if we will just give ourselves to your word, you begin to enlighten our mind and our heart as we surround ourselves with believers and spiritual tools that can help explain that word. And as you come along, it's just, you begin to change our thinking and then you begin to change our behavior, you change our lives. I pray that this year, we would be a people that experience tremendous spiritual transformation. We believe and hope in this because of the power of your word through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And if this is your prayer today, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Have a great, great New Year's Day. 
Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com. Thank you.